Welcome to the Men on Purpose podcast, featuring dynamic conversations with emerging and established visionary men on purpose. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate the men on purpose who are committed, creative, courageous change makers, living their best, most fulfilling life possible. Now, here's the host of Men on Purpose, Ian Lobos. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Men on Purpose podcast, where we celebrate men on purpose and provide our listeners with wisdom and immediately actionable steps to be more purposeful, powerful, and positive in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Ian Lobos, and today on our show, we are welcoming a very special guest, a friend and mentor of mine, Mr. Len Giancola. Len has nearly 30 years of experience in executive management and business ownership. Formerly a managing director of global securities finance in New York, he was responsible for a $16 billion trading portfolio, and he's now an officer and board member of over 30 corporations. With well over $100 million in sales over the last decade, including a successful custom home building and development company, vacation rental and property management company, and a diversified investment portfolio, Len is a powerhouse. He's the largest shareholder and founding partner of MJ.com, thepot.com, which we're going to talk about today, along with being the founder of Power, a high net worth mastermind group of entrepreneurs. He's the host of the pot.live podcast and a frequent media guest on international podcasts and radio shows such as NBC Radio, iHeartRadio, Rich Dad Radio with Robert Kiyosaki, along with many other entrepreneurial and mentorship vehicles. Len is a great friend and mentor of mine, and I am excited for the wisdom and experience and expertise that he is going to share with all of us today. So Len, welcome to Men on Purpose Podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me, Ian. Great to see you. Great to see you, man. So look, we have a lot we're going to talk about, and you've been a, a mentor and a friend to me over the years. I remember some shit that I was going, just having trouble with in my life in 2017. You're the guy I reached out to and you were like, dude, I'll do anything you want. You come out of my house, I'll entertain you. I'll spill my guts on everything I know. And that, that really meant a lot to me. And it was, it was a turning point in my life. So I want to share a lot of that stuff, your philosophies on marriage, on business, on fatherhood with our audience. So audience, that's what we're going to get into today with Len is those couple things, but it's going to be deep. And this is how I think about Len. He has this amazing ability to not give a fuck about what you think, but wrapped up in a pretty and respectful package. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> so let's start with your story, man. You have a really awesome story. Young age, became wealthy, and then said, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, I mean, basically, I did the traditional thing. You know, my, my parents were both corporate employees, and I did the, you know, go to school, get decent grades, get into a good college, get your degree. I majored in finance, just like everybody was doing in business in New York, where I grew up. That was the thing. Go get into the financial industry was most people's path. And my dad was a successful executive on Wall Street, and he got me my foot in the door with some friends, got me some interviews. I aced the interviews, and then I kind of just took it from there. So as soon as I got my foot in the door, I realized if I'm going to do this, just like I do everything, go for it and do it the right way and do it the best I can. And I ascended through the ranks rather quickly, did the corporate thing for about 12 years, started making a really good salary and bonus. And that's what everything was, your salary and your yep. bonus, right? Yep. That's all you cared about on Wall Street. Had a really, really big trading book, worked with hedge funds dealing with uh, the short side. So I don't know if people are too familiar with that, but basically 
you know, when you invest, the average person invests, they buy stocks, they buy mutual funds, they want everything to go up. I was dealing with hedge funds who can work long or short, so they make money on the upside and the downside of the market. And I was dealing on the downside. So when they would short stocks, that means they were betting that stocks were going to go down. And I was facilitating those short sale transactions for them. So we had about a $16 billion trading book and I had a blast. I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. I didn't love corporate life. I didn't love rules and regulations because I'm kind of a wild card, <laughs> but I had the greatest time. It was super awesome experience. Had an awesome group that I worked with that worked for me that I worked for and it just worked out great. But then I realized, hey, I want to be a little selfish here. I'm making the company so much money, even though they're paying me a decent number, I'm making them way more money. And I wanted to selfishly wanted that for myself, my family, and my legacy. And I kind of just swapped mindsets to I'm going to become a serial entrepreneur, change my life completely, got the hell out of New York after 9-11 and all that BS, and uh, came down to Florida and became a serial entrepreneur about 17 years ago. And I've syndicated, developed, sold, bought, built, sold a bunch of different businesses. Now I'm into some other crazy stuff. So it's been a fun ride. And that freedom factor is just gigantic for me and my family. Love that. So I know there's people listening right now who are in that corporate position making really, really good money. And they're saying, I have no idea how to get those handcuffs off. You know, it's like, a, it's just a vicious cycle. I don't, how did you do that? How did you deal with the ego piece and the FOMO piece of like, I gotta, I'm just going to cut this. You went to Florida and retired like in your early thirties, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true because I, I always had I, I always had this mindset of mortality is real, right? And it sounds silly, but you're gonna die, no, right? Yeah. So you only get you only get why, and you don't know if it's tomorrow or if it's in fifty years or seventy years or whatever, right? So I knew that at some point that's obviously gonna happen, and I want I didn't want to be that guy who's sitting on a trading desk or sitting in a cubicle or working for the man yeah. for fifty years and then hope that when I retire when I'm 65, that my 401k is at a peak in the market when I'm about to withdraw it. And not only that, am I healthy? Am I alive? Is my family healthy? Right. Am I going to be able to enjoy those last few years of my life? So I said, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to retire when I'm 33, 34 years old. And I took four years off. And then I, I enjoyed that time. I recharged my batteries because, you know, working on Wall Street is not easy. It's very stressful. It's non nonstop. It's away from your family, away from your loved ones, you know, 14, 16 hours a day. And, you know, going out with clients and don't get me wrong, some of that was a lot of fun, but it's still away, it's still away from your rest, relaxation and, and you know, uh, decompressing time that doesn't right. exist. Right. So you're just going, 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 going and burning the fuse at both ends. I didn't want to be the guy who, am I even going to be alive at 65? Can I walk at 65? Who the hell knows, dude, right? I still don't know that now, but I wanted to make sure I could enjoy it when I can. I was blessed financially at a young age. So my wife and I and our two, you know, little girls at that time, we said, screw it, let's get the hell out of here. We went down to Florida and we reinvented ourselves and we've had a blast for the last 17 years, like the best possible time. And I can't even believe I stayed on Wall Street for 12 years. But, you know, it's part of the growth process, right? It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't terrible. It was fun. Right. I'm just glad that I, I had the, uh, the balls, I guess, to, you know, take that <laughs> chance when most people thought I was crazy. You know, that's one thing that you inspired me on and that I'm hoping the audience gets inspired on is you have no idea when tomorrow doesn't come. You have no idea. And that, that wish or that hope that at 65 and you, you called it that the market will be at a peak. So, so your 401k is, is ready to be tapped. That's a huge gamble. 
that's a huge gamble. I watched my dad when he was in his like early 60s in the 08 to 10 to 12 market cycle. If he would have wanted to retire then, there's zero chance that he could have because it was bottomed out. And he would have had like everything he worked for his whole life just gone just to take out whatever was left and take, you know, a, a couple vacations here and there. And like, what kind of quality of life is this? So that's, that's one thing I picked up from you is you got to act now. It's take action now. You might be scared and you might not know where the landing spot is, but you got to have faith in your ability to just jump and have faith that that landing spot is going to be there. You might not know how far down, but it'll be there. It's the fear-based mentality that you just mentioned. I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear that if I lost everything I have right now, that I can't make it back in a year or two. I right. just, I know how to do it. I've done it several times. I've been through the roller coaster. I've been through the 2001 or whatever internet crash, the 9-11. I've been through the 2008 housing crash. Now I'm going through, we're all going through this pandemic that we're recording this, you know, right now during that. This is all crazy stuff. But guess what? We all come out of it somehow. And some people survive and thrive. And some people, you know, go in the fetal position and they can't take it. And, and I feel bad for those people, but that's just not the way I'm wired. I'm not worried about what's coming. The only thing I'm worried about is the one thing we spoke about earlier, and that's not being here anymore. And I don't know when that's happening. So while I'm here, I'm going to kick ass as much as I can. Yeah, I love that mentality, man. Absolutely love that. And, and just it's so inspiring for myself and for, for all the guys and women listening is you have no guarantee for time. So whenever you say to yourself, I've got time to do that later, or I can take that date night next week, where I can take that leap in my career or start that business in a month or next year. The same thing I tell my coaching students, you might be dead. Do it now. Just do it now. Just go now. Don't figure out every little thing. You just have to go for it. And so that kind of leads me in. I want to talk about who you were back then because you were married and you had two small kids. Who you were back then wasn't okay with you and your marriage and yourself as a father. So first I want to talk about marriage because you have a great marriage and I've seen the example of it. You've told me a lot about the inner workings of your marriage and, and, and how things work with you and Marnie. And then I want to get into you as a dad too. So just how did you put family first? Like besides the, I might die tomorrow, you know, mentality or, or, or um, understanding, how did you make that call that family had to come first? Cause that's, you know, you watched your dad in, in the corporate world. So that was just ingrained. I think that actually comes from, you know, and it's going to sound stereotypical, but my Italian background, Italian tradition is family first. Yeah. No matter what, you know, whether you live in Italy or you're just an Italian American, whatever it may be, everything was about family. Everything was about on Sunday, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents, kids, all getting together for a big meal and, and an eight hour marathon of eating and having fun and watching sports or whatever it may be and taking a nap on the couch. Those are the times I think back to when I was a kid is doing that every weekend with, you know, whatever side of the family. I've translated that to telling my two girls, my wife, we're worried about us, the core four, right? We, we right. call ourselves G4 for Giancola four, right? right. So we're, I'm only worried about G4 when a crisis hits. Doesn't mean I don't love my parents and my cousins and my extended family, but I'm worried first about the four people in my house. Yep. That's it. Then I expand from there. If I can take care of me first, then my wife, and don't, don't take that as a selfish me first type thing. I take care of me. I make sure that what I'm supposed to do is happening to the highest level. Then I expand that to my wife. Then I expand that to my daughters. Then when that G4 circle is taken care of, then I worry about my parents. Then I worry about my siblings. Then I worry about extended family. But yeah. if you don't take care of yourself first, 
you're not taking care of anybody else. I see too many people that are worried about helping this person, helping that person when they yeah. can't even help themselves. It doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. It's the oxygen mask on yourself before others mentality. It's yeah, so, exactly. It's so, it's so simple. Do you think it's because, and I run into this a lot, do you think it's because some people, most people, don't think that they're worth helping? It's not worth helping themselves and they'd rather get the notoriety or like the attention and approval from helping others? No, I, I think there's this BS about this noble f- mindset to help others yeah. um, with all this gratitude and meditation and all that crap. And that's cool if you like it. It's just yeah. not me, right? I yeah. know that the word selfish is not a negative connotation word that so many people make it out to be. Let's put it this way. If I was 25 or whatever age I am, and I'm making $50,000 a year, right? And I don't have those experiences of success, but I go to try and help people. Am I really doing them a good service? Or is it when I have ascended to a certain level of experience, success, and the ability to help on a larger scale, wouldn't that be more of an unselfish thing to do it the right way where I can really help people? Because now I've gone through experiences. I've gone through ups and downs. I've built this. I've, you know, maybe this didn't work out, but this did. Let me share my experience with you. I shared my marriage experience with you, you know, when you came down a few years ago, right? Because I went through that. If I had a shitty marriage and I'm giving you marriage experience, am I helping you? (laughs) No. And there's too many people that want to help too early. And it's nice. It's a great thing. Okay, great. You're really doing something nice, but you're not doing the best that you can for the person you're trying to help. Does that make sense at all? 100%, man. Absolutely. So how do you have such a great marriage? What are the, what are a couple just points that people can take from this because obviously I want people to have actionable items from listening to these. You know, it's a quick 30 minutes. I want them to have actionable items that they can take into their lives. So what are a few key things for you that make a great marriage? I wasn't getting married unless my wife was my best friend and that I 100% wanted to get married to this person. So you can ask any of my friends from back then when they were getting engaged or they were about to get married, I always asked them a question. I go, what percentage are you into this? Is it 98? Is it 90? Is it 50? Like, are you just doing this because you think you have to do this? Yeah. And too many people weren't at 100. You have to be at 100. 98% is not enough to get married. This is the rest of your life where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I think people are too afraid to cut the cord out of habit. So they might love someone because they're with them for a long time, but they're not in love with them. And if you can't keep that spark, if you can't keep that fire going constantly, I've now been with my wife for 30 years. Okay. We met, we were just married 25 years and I'm not that old. You know what I mean? So we got married young. We started dating when we were 20. We got married at 25. That's, that's kind of young, you know, it used to be, not be young, but it, yeah. it is nowadays. We're still best friends. There's nobody else I want to hang out with except my, more than my wife. That's just the way it is. And don't get me wrong. I love the guys trips. I love going on golf trips. I love going out and having a few drinks and having some fun with the guys. But I I would rather go away with her. And if you don't have that feeling, if you don't walk in your house and you don't want to grab your wife's ass and give her a little pinch and give her a little smooch, then you shouldn't be there. And people are afraid to cut the cord because, oh my God, going through a divorce would be so, so, so annoying and so expensive and it would set me back and I'd have to start over. So instead... They stay with the wrong person for 50 years and they're miserable. Yeah. And that misery translates to no business success. No, a lot of things. It hurts. Just cut the cord. People don't cut the cord soon enough. So either you're in love and it's awesome and, I'm, and it's great or 
you're not, and get the hell out, man. Right. Get, just get out and start over. You only live once. You're going to yeah. die. And yeah. I hate to be morbid like that, but people don't want to face that fact. That's the only guarantee that we have if you think about it. It's the only guarantee. So you're totally right. And I've, and I've heard that advice from you. You said if you're not 100% fucking in, you're 100% fucking out. There's no gray area or you live a miserable existence. And I'm like, holy shit. Maybe I asked for marriage advice from the wrong guy, but it was so beneficial because I came home and I said to my wife, are you 100% in? And she said, yeah. And I said, I am too. Let's shift this thing up. And we did. And it was, yeah. and it's been, and it's been, and listen, it, this, you're not saying, and I'm not saying that there isn't some shit you go through and some stuff does. that, and some challenges that you got to work through. 30 years is a long time. You know, like there's a lot of stuff and growth and your growth and her growth and kids and things that happen. Well, look, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about you as a parent because it's, it's, it's extremely impressive. And then I want to talk about some business stuff. And then we're going to wrap. All right, everybody, we are back and we've got Len Giancola here. And before we took a break, we we're talking about marriage and being in or freaking out. Now I want to talk to Len about his philosophy and the way that he is a dad to his two daughters. It's impressive. I have bought into Len's parenting philosophies and style and I love it. I want him to share it with you. So you think it would be different, your, parent, your parenting philosophy, if you had sons versus daughters? Yes, absolutely. We actually, uh, we discussed that a lot amongst our family <laughs> yeah. in a joking manner. But yeah, as much as I love my girls, having boys would have been so much easier and I would have welcomed that very much. <laughs> so I bust their chops about that all the time. Right. <laughs> so I want to get into your philosophies on school because it's, I mean, if anybody that knows you on social media, they know you post this openly. Your daughters really excel at life and they're not in school. Explain that because I, I don't even know how to start that. It's interesting what you do. Well, they, were, they did go to traditional school, you know, but they're not going to college. They had a mix. My older one, Liana, she's 19 now. Uh, when she was about 14, she started having an interest in business. They both came to us. They were 14 and 10 at that time. Now they're 19 and 15-ish. Um, and they came to us when they were younger because they heard my wife and I always talking about business. We, we always kept uh, money as an open discussion at the dinner table. We kept our business building trials and tribulations as an open discussion at the business table. So it was not a foreign subject to them. When I grew up, I never heard my parents talk about money, never had a clue how much they made, never had a clue how much a house cost. It just wasn't talked about back then. It wasn't in yeah. vogue, I guess. Yeah. So now we've always done that since they were old enough to remember. And when they were about 14 and 10, they came to us and said, hey, we want to learn more about business. And we were like, okay, you're just saying that because you hear us talking about some successes and it sounds all cool. And we said, if you're really serious, go read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And each of you independently read it, write a report and come back to us and present to mom and dad. And we'll see if you're really serious about learning. And yep. they both did it. And they read the adult version. And there were some things they didn't understand, obviously, that we helped them with. But they, they finished the book. They did a presentation. And we knew that they had some skin in the game as far as effort yeah. to want to learn that just snowballed into starting to invest with us as a little minority partner in something. They had some money saved up from all the birthdays, confirmations, communions, all that stuff over, you know, 14 and 10, that's 24 years of savings accounts. Right. So they had several thousand dollars in there. They had money in a 529 plan that they withdrew because they didn't want to go to college. Right. And we used that. So I paid the little penalty for them. That was the only contribution I made. Otherwise yeah. it was all their money. And they, uh, they did some minority stake investing in some of the stuff I was already doing just so they can learn the ropes and learn the transaction from beginning to end. And they've learned all that. 
over the last several years. They've lost some money in the stock market. They've made some money on real estate. So they've seen the ups and downs a little bit in a, in a small level. And they both, you know, have a higher net worth than the average 45-year-old right now with right. their own money. Right. Right. So school became, uh, it got lessened on the priority list. And real life experiences took the front seat. School took the back seat. Yep. And it doesn't mean that I mean that they shouldn't be educating themselves. Sure. They were just in a different way. They weren't learning from somebody in school. And, and this is not a knock on all the teachers out there. There are some that are really great. But most of the teachers are just reading from a planned curriculum from the state or district that they're in and antiquated textbooks. And that's what they have to do to keep their job, right? There's a few that think outside the box, and I love those. But most of them are just following protocol. And that protocol is antiquated and does not teach kids how to be a real-life success. Right. So we taught them at home how to be a real-life success. And I don't even give a shit what their grades were. I, didn't care. I don't care if they got a D in every class, but they didn't. They got straight A's in every class in traditional school. One of my daughters, my younger daughter, Sophia, did two years of homeschool. First year, she loved it because she flew through it and finished the whole year in like three and a half months. So she was just done and, and got to chill out. Then the second year, she was kind of bored because she was becoming a teenager and she wanted some more of that social interaction. And, and that is one good thing about being in a traditional school sure. is that social interaction. So they both went to traditional high school. Uh, my daughter, uh, Liana, graduated high school last year, and she did not go to college, and she started some entrepreneurial vehicles. You know, she's working on social media for some companies. She's making, you know, up to $25 an hour, right. working for several different companies at 19 years old. She's done some film work. She's working for some of my companies. So she's got a whole bunch of income streams now. And my younger one is a freshman in high school. And, you know, right now she's homeschooled because everyone in the world is right. apparently homeschooled right now when we're recording this. So we'll see what happens with her. I let them make the choice. I don't tell them what they have to do. I don't tell them they can't go to college. I don't tell them any of that. Right. They make the choice. They've chosen to not go to college. If they want to go to college, go. You right. know what I mean? I just don't believe, I believe it's a waste of time unless you're going for a super specialized degree. A general degree is a waste of time. Like 60% of people don't even graduate. I think the success rate is about 17 or 19%. And what I say by success rate, that is people that went to college and got a job in the field of their degree yeah. in four years. The numbers are ridiculous. Like again, stacked against you, not to mention the debt, not to mention the cost, not to mention the dangers, especially having daughters of, I have two beautiful daughters, I really don't want them being uh, hit on on college campuses by some <laughs> crazy kids. Right. I, was, I was that crazy kid at one point. <laughs> so I'm a little protective in that, I admit that. But it's really their choice. We let them make the choice. I just don't believe that school is very valuable anymore when you can have a little phone in your hand right here and learn almost everything on YouTube, Google, or whatever it may be and educate yourself. Yeah. So I just have, uh, we have, it's not me, we, my wife, my kids, we have a different view on what school really teaches you and the purpose of it. I think it's more for socialization. You know, if you're going to get into Harvard or Yale and you're going to be surrounded by the elite of the elite and be in that network, absolutely go for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or if you're, you need a specialized degree, absolutely go for it. If you're just going to have a party and have a good time and go to the football games, you're wasting your parents' money or your own money, and you're just going to be stuck. Name me some kids in the 20s that you know that are crushing it because of their degree. Very few. I mean, I can't, I can't even name one. I don't even oh, know don't somebody know in their 20s that's killing it because of their college degree. I don't even know one. Unless they're specialized, like they were a very high level, you know, law degree or accounting or, or, or pre-med or something like that. But you're not right. killing it in your 20s if you're pre-med. No, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, my daughter's 19. By the time she's 22, 23, and those same kids in her class are graduating with debt and trying to find yep. a job, 
She's had four years of real life experience. She's got money socked away in the bank. She's got investments in her portfolio. They're coming out with zero. Yeah. So I always, I always give the analogy, if I'm running a company and two people come in for an interview and one of them's a Harvard MBA that graduated yesterday and the other one is somebody that started in the mailroom of my company and worked their way up for four years with no degree, no education, but has been in the industry for four years working their way up, which one do you think I'm hiring? I'm hiring yeah, the one with the experience every single time, yeah. 100% of the time. So I, I don't understand the purpose. It's, I think it's more of an ego thing and sometimes for parents, right? I live in a community where on Saturday, college football day, all these old people are putting their college flags out <laughs> in front of their house. Oh, I went to Alabama. I went to here. Dude, you're 65 years old and you forced your kid to go to Alabama just because you went there. Why? Right. right? And why is your kid 28 still living in your house? You know what I mean? So it's just, hey. It might be a little harsh out there. Sorry, Ian, but it's, but no, it's the dude, truth, man. It's the truth. I, when, I, when I met you in 2016, I don't remember. Yeah, 16. I think we were at Tahoe together. I heard you talk about this and I was like, wow. Like when you see my Facebook post from today, you'll see because I went through school and I was not a rule follower, but I was told that I was a bad kid, that I was slow at learning. And that I would never amount to anything if I didn't focus on my schoolwork, my studies. This is like since like first grade, dude. I can remember my teacher giving me these green or red cards to take home, whether I was good or bad that day. And every day I got a red card and I'm like, damn, what the hell did I do wrong now? Talking, you know, not raising my hand high enough. Dude, like stupid shit that formed a foundation in me. Luckily, luckily. My parents had the mindset similar to yours to nurture that sort of entrepreneurial mind because my parents were both entrepreneurs. But like, if I didn't have that, dude, I would have been crushed. I mean, crushed by that system. I still went to college. I hated every minute of it, but there was a, a, a professor my junior year who, and again, I'm posting this today, who said to me, dude, a guy like you, school's not for you. We get it. I get it. You don't have to argue with me anymore. Like, I'm on your side. I want to see you crush it in business. But don't hate school because of the tests and the shitty teachers. Love school because it's, see it as a window into the world, into your leadership and management and building of systems. And man, that shaped me. That was the best thing that happened in college, except for, you know, parties and, you know, fraternity life and that kind of thing. I love that philosophy of letting them choose and also giving them the education on both or all fronts to make a great decision about what they want for their lives. That's, it. That's, all, that's all I'm doing. I'm giving them a menu of options for life. And then it's up to them to make that choice. I'm not here to hold their hand for the rest of their life. I get that. Right. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to form their mind over their formative years right. in a different way than school, traditional school does. So here's a menu of a bunch of options of life paths you can take, right? Now you figure out on those paths how you're going to branch out into your own creation of life. That's yeah. all. And you make that choice. You might choose wisely. You might not. But I'm going to try and give you all the tools that I didn't have right. as a young person to help you along. Yeah. That's all. It's, it's pretty simple. It really is. And, and the, the best part is regardless of what they choose or what they would choose, you still support them. They didn't have to yep. choose your way. They could go to college for some BS. You would say probably you pay for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if they're going to college, they're paying for it. I'm not right. paying for it, but they you can want, go. You want a communications degree? Have at it. Go for it. 100 grand, 
down the tubes. So <laughs> <laughs> while we, uh, while we got some time left, I want to get into your, your business stuff, mainly the cannabis businesses that you're in, which are fascinating. And again, we talked about this earlier. I don't, I don't have a clue. Some of the things that you do when I see you post, I'm like, what the hell is he doing now? You are in the cannabis space. Thepot.com, MJ.com are your big companies, right? The big platforms. Yeah. yeah, platforms. I have so many, so many questions. Like, the last thing I saw was the MJ Medical Launch, and I want you to tell the audience about that. And just how did you get into the cannabis space? What intrigued you about it? And what do the companies actually do? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, I mean, hey, I was never, I never smoked a cigarette in my life. I never smoked a joint in my life. I am now 50 years old. And the first time I even tried marijuana was, it was two years ago at an event that we were in Colorado. And I just said, okay, let me try it. I never tried it. And it was fine. It was cool. Had a good time. But I'm not, I'm not a person. I don't smoke weed. I just, you know, whatever. I'll do it. Basically, my wife had back surgery a couple of years ago and they prescribed medical marijuana for her to sleep at night and relax her muscles as it was healing. So, you know, I would try it too, right? Just to go to sleep or something. But I, I still, to this day, I think I've touched a joint once in my life. I'm not a, I'm just not a weed smoker, but I'm a business builder, right? Yeah. So people think that, oh, you're in the cannabis industry. You're a drug dealer. You're a stoner or something like that. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm really just doing it for the business point of it. And if I want to try it, just like I want to try a vodka martini, I will try it, right? Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not a big vice person either way. I don't drink it. I've never had to drink at home. I don't, I'm just not that guy. I'm wired just naturally on life. Yeah. So I don't need vices. I never have. Never tried a drug in my life. Like I said, never had a cigarette. So anyway... Let's back up. I was in the financial industry. Every day was the same, yet different, but it was the same type of thing. Dealing with the same clients, maybe different securities, stocks, whatever it may be. Then I was a home builder. And while it was different and different clients and different designs, it was the same thing. I was building a home, right? When I was in real estate, you know, you're in real estate. It's the same thing, maybe different, but it's the same thing. I'm going to buy or sell a house right. or a property. Even with investing in real estate, it's the same thing, just a different property. It's the same principle. When I had the opportunity to come into the cannabis business, this is super exciting because you're saying you don't even know what I do. Sometimes we don't know the direction it's going to take, and it doesn't mean we don't know what we're doing. Right. It just means it's, it's moving so fast because it's, a, it's not a federally legal industry. So every state, city, county, municipality has different rules, and they're changing on the fly until it goes federally legal, right? Who can invest in it? Who can be a public uh, traded company? Who can actually sell cannabis medically, recreationally? Um, who can sell CBD? Who can ship it across state lines? All that changes every two seconds. So the direction of our platforms and our websites also have been changing over the last couple of years. So mj.com, obviously having a two letter domain for marijuana, you know, a term, an organic term for marijuana right. is gigantic, probably the most valuable domain on the planet. and that's going to be all medical and professional focused because the medical and professional industry, they like the term MJ. They don't want to be associated with weed or pot that has yeah. a negative connotation. Then we have the pot, T-H-E-P-O-T.com. And that is the recreational stoner stuff. So we have jokes, we have podcasts, we have uh, memes, stuff like that. Just, you know, funny articles. That's for just people that are stoners and just want to have a good laugh and have a good time. Yeah, yeah. But MJ is the medical and professional side. So we have partnered exclusively with the American Society of Cannabis Medicine, which has thousands of doctors, millions of patients, and we are concentrating on what right now is the 33 medically legal states where we're going to allow consumers to get their medical card, 
get a savings card in our network. So we'll save on every doctor visit, every dispensary visit, and then delivery. So we also can deliver straight to their door. And we're really trying to help go with the health and wellness factor on MJ.com. And that's what MJ Medical is going to be all about. We're going to start in California with some beta testing in the Bay Area, expand statewide, and then go to Florida and New York as well, and then go nationwide in those medically legal states to provide that one-stop solution for the medical patient. And that's pretty much what we're doing on MJ.com at the moment. <laughs> Dude, that sounds really simple now. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, but... You know, it changes every day, right? So we, yeah. we might do that and then all of a sudden the laws change and we have to readjust and adapt and that's the fun of it. You know what I mean? I don't know what MJ is going to look like next year. I know what it's going to look like next month and that's how we go. We're planning for long-term success and short-term success at the same time. That's so cool, man. That's so cool. And there's music involved, right? Is there, there's artists that you have for MJ, right? Yeah, so we, we, have, we are lucky enough to, once again, the MJ term, the brand, has just really caught on with people of all different parts of the industry. So we're going to have a whole media division. So we've, had, we've already been approached to have a reality show filmed on us that is basically chronicling our journey along with a really big company in Canada and a grow facility in California. And they want to follow us and intertwine us as partners on how we're going navigating this incredible burgeoning industry. And with that, there's a lot of high-level influencers and sponsors that want to be part of it. Yeah, so we've, had, we've been approached by several celebrity housewives and at, let's just say a big management company that has yeah. a bunch of celebrities and their spouses, and they want to do media shows on MJ.com. They just love the brand MJ. Yeah. So we're not limiting ourselves to medical. We're not limiting ourselves to recreational. We're not limiting ourselves to anything. Because MJ, that brand could be anything. So now we're going to combine media, medical, everything. It, it's, just, it's just limitless music. And we'll, we'll see what people resonate with. Maybe it'll only be one of those next year. I don't know. But right. we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. I love that. All right, last question. How do you have time for all this stuff? How do you make, how do you make your time? How do you prioritize? Obviously, we know that family is a huge, a huge priority for you. How do you have time for all this? You're, you have short-term rentals. You have thousands of streams of income. You have these businesses and development and MJ and, and how do you make time for all this stuff? I always talk about, you know, if anyone's heard me on another podcast, I talk about the three facets that you need to have in your core team. And that's the connector, the executor, and the backbone. So you need that connector who can go find opportunities on your team, right? Somebody who's that guy who can work the room or girl who can work the room and, and bring in connections. Then you need the executor who can look at those opportunities and figure out which ones you want to pursue and then you need the backbone, the person who keeps the structure of the corporation, uh, the books and records, the accounting, the legal, all it works with those teams, right? You can't do all of those. And maybe you have strengths and weaknesses in each of those three categories. You need to figure out what those are. And if you don't have those, you need to hire or partner with someone that has those strengths. That way you can meld the three roles together in the most efficient way possible. So that's what I have on my team. That's what I do. But I'm, I'm 24-7, man. I like it. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. So I, I enjoy all of it. I enjoy learning social media. I never understood social media a few years ago. Now we've got millions of followers and I like to see how we can engage them in different ways. What's allowed on social, what's not, you know, getting reported for stuff you're not supposed to put about cannabis on there and stuff that you can do educationally. So it's still a learning process and it's just different facets of it. And I really am enjoying it. Otherwise, like I said, I'd, I'll just check out. If I'm not enjoying it, I'll go on to the next thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So look, we got to wrap up. I want to thank my, my very special guest, Len Giancola. Thanks, Len. You, you've been, dude, this is great, man. I learned something from you every time we talk, man. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak to your audience. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I, know, I know we all got something out of it. So 
thanks for bringing so much value. And I want to thank our uh, loyal listeners for tuning in each week, supporting the show, rating and reviewing, downloading. Remember, hit mentalpurposepodcast.com forward slash Len Giancola to find out more about Len and all the wonderful, crazy stuff he is into. Look, thanks again for tuning in. And remember, we all have a choice. Choose to be on purpose. See you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to the Men on Purpose podcast, where our mission is to educate, elevate, and activate every man to truly live their best, most fulfilling life possible. To find out more about the podcast, our guests, or becoming a man on purpose, visit menonpurposepodcast.com and choose your most purposeful path forward.